Okay, my people, once again, we've arrived at another episode of Upfront Discussions. And today, we have a guest. Someone, now people might say to me, we thought this was about the journey of Birmingham people from the inner city of Birmingham. But the reason why I've decided I've, I really wanted to speak to this individual is because we're claiming him. <laughs> we're going to claim him as, as a, a, a Birmingham person. Because for over 20 years, he's been a prominent figure. If anyone listens to local community radio stations, you would know about this person. So he's got 20 plus years in broadcasting. He's been running an annual birthday party for a significant amount of time. So all well over 17 years. Well over 17 years. I was a person that I went to with my cousin, I remember going to Ruskin Hall to a party that this individual put on and it was snowing and people still came out. I remember in the kitchen, my cousin was doing the food and I think it was, you know, yourself said you didn't expect so much people to turn out. And I believe that people turned out because of the individual who you are. When I was doing my research and I spoke to you know, again, a family member that, you know, very close with you. And some of the things that were coming out in terms of the themes of you as an individual, genuine, always there to help, selfless, no form of bad mind, bone in your body. You will always go out your way. If you book this person or if this person says that they're going to do something for you, always does it. And of lately... I've even heard that this individual was rocking a perfect afro <laughs> back in the day. Perfectly formed afro. So if you don't know who I'm talking about by now, I'm just going to say one more thing. <coughs> Tea and toast. And if you still don't know who I'm talking about, it's the one and only Mr. Mikey D. Welcome, my brother. Stephen, blessings, my brother. Respect. That <laughs> intro was like, whoa! I felt like I was on This Is Your Life. <laughs> Respect, big one. And do you know what? I started, I reflected back, right? Because I'm driving around in the car and, you know, that show comes on. And you know one bit I used to always wait for is when you used to do This Day in History. Right. And then you talk about someone from way, way back in the 50s or 1700s or whatever. And then you shout out, Trevor, Trevor. <laughs> and I tell you, right, that, <laughs> that's the part I used to always wait for. Trevor. And it just made me laugh. Yeah, well, t DJ Trevor was the, is the oldest <laughs> DJ on the station. So we had this little joke with him because he's a, a mature veteran. I just thought I'd use him as exact because he's that old. Trevor, Trevor. <laughs> yeah. So, again... People don't know about this podcast. For if you're listening for the first time, the podcast is really to talk about people's journey, navigating through life. And as an individual, I'm really interested in the history of music, the history of the community sense and community culture. 
I've spoken to people around my age group. But I want to get a sense of what it was like middle, late 70s, early 80s. What life was like growing up. And I think Mikey D is a, a person that can really give us some insight. So we're going to start from the beginning of the journey. So talk to me, Mikey D, about teenage years, right? Where, where did you grow up and what was Mikey D like as a teenager? Okay, so <clears throat> um, I grew up right here in the city of Coventry. Okay. Uh, when I was a teenager, 13, I wasn't Mikey D. I was just Mick because that's what they used to call you at school, Mick. Yeah. I mean, my name's Michael, but at school they used to call you Mick. Yeah, so I was just known as Mick. Never used to like it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was what they used to call you, yeah. Uh, growing up in my teenage years was was really good. It was it was fun. Yeah. Um, I was into sports. Uh, I wasn't the um, the greatest academically uh, brightest kid at school. Yeah. But you know, I got along and did what I had to do, and I had fun. My teenage years were were full of fun. Yeah. Uh, I one thing I was good at was cricket. Um, I used to play a high level of cricket when I was a young age. I played for the City Coventry Boys. Yeah. And then I went to, to Edgbaston and I played for Warwickshire oh. uh, under 16s when I was 13. And then when I was 14, yeah. I was playing in the under 17s. And then when I got to 15, uh, nearly 16, I was playing in the under 19s for, for Warwickshire. So, oh, county level. Like county, county level, yeah. yes. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was a, lot, a big part of my... Um, my young life, teenage life, cricket. Yeah. But I mean, I did everything else that any other young person would do at that age. Yeah. Um. But yeah, sport and cricket was definitely my my main thing. And what was the community <clears throat> spirit like? Because from the individuals that I've spoke with over this journey, in the and I'm I'm talking about probably the 90s going into <coughs> the early 2000s, it was a good community spirit at that point but for you was it the same in terms of you know the late 70s and what was the community spirit like uh community was good and, yeah. and i'll tell you why why i say it was good and what i remember is that obviously my parents were winrush winrush, winrush people generation. yeah winrush yeah. generation okay so they came to this country in the 60s and um it was a time when people from all the different caribbean islands we came here, they had to suffer like um, racism and all kinds of things and problems. Yeah. And so what you'd find is that the communities that came here from different parts of the West Indies, yeah. um, everybody stuck together. Everybody sort of like, you know, was we're, we're all like one big family. Yeah. My family are Jamaican, right? But, you know, our good friends down the road were Bajan. Yeah. Or we had some um, people from St. Vincent. And, you know, we were all one family. Yes. And... Um, I think one of the greatest things about it is that everybody was your uncle and everybody was your auntie. Yes. When you saw big people, uh, they were your uncle and they were your auntie. And you had to respect them. Yeah. And like the same way you would be talking to your mum, you couldn't do anything in front of them because you know they had the, the right to give you a clap and your mm. head back if you were, <laughs> you know. And I think everybody just looked after everybody in the community. You couldn't walk on a street and see another black person yeah. and not nod right. your head and greet to them. Yeah. And that's something that stayed with me as a big man that I am now today. Yeah. You know, if I walk down the street, 
when I see a brother or sister, yeah, I may not know them, yeah, but I will give them a little nod, give them a nod most of the time, yeah. or yeah, like that because. You know, that goes back to my, my parents and how it was yeah. when they first came to this country. Okay. And you mentioned growing up in, in Coventry. Mm. I mean, in terms of the Caribbean community, was there a big Caribbean community in those days in Coventry? Yeah, yeah, there was a, there was a quite a big, I mean, obviously nowhere the size of the community in Birmingham. Yeah. But yeah, there was, there was a big community. Yeah. My, my father was... Um, like the chairman of the one and only uh, cricket West Indian cricket club in Coventry. Oh, okay. And at that time, it was they were the only people that had their own social club. Yeah. Yeah. As West Indians, mm. so everybody used to come there for, to socialize and watch cricket and stuff like that. So when you had a place like that and your dad was the chairman yeah. and whatever, and you, I was always there, and all the big people in there family and their kids yeah they would also be there as well so yeah the, the community was was good was the, the good. love that we had in the community was, was good them days yeah definitely something that fascinates me about those days is things like tv so yeah. now we've got a lot of choice you know you've got sky there's so much channels yeah. but back then i suppose you probably three channels that's right. mobile <laughs> phones may not have been no no mobile phones <laughs> no um internet computers gadgets no how was it in turn i'm trying to think, think <laughs> now how would it have been growing up then I'm, I'm sure it's probably more creative yeah you know the, the the you or the kids at that age are more creative and doing yeah. things with what what you have in it yeah so i mean like you're talking about the tv so there was only three channels bbc one bbc two and itv yeah. and the tvs had no remote so the children were the remotes so we have to get up go turn over the tv right so you know we'd have to get up and turn the change the tv over um uh radio was a thing we'd without we'd have a radio and we'd listen to like um uh the top 40 chart show on the bbc yeah. radio one uh and we'd be there with our tape cassettes ready to tape a song and try and tape it before the dj had finished talking and before he comes back in yeah um so yeah, they they were some of the things. No, there was no internet. There was no phone, <laughs> mobile phones. There was none of that stuff. Um, we did have a house phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did have a house phone. But um, um, I mean, you know, only we could only use it every now and again because phone bill was a thing where your parents don't want you to use the phone. So um, and another thing about phones, yeah, is that our parents had um, the dial phones. You have got zzz, zzz, and then. Um, they used to put a lock on the phone, so if they were out, you can't use the phone. Yeah. But you know, you find a way, you pick the lock, you know, yeah. and then the lock would come up and you could use the phone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but like you say, uh, were kids more creative? Um, I, I would say that kids were creative, but kids are still creative here today. Yeah. But I just think that creative in a different kind of way. Yeah. The technology that kids have now to be creative is just second to none yeah. when we were growing up the things we had to do uh, was more on a one-to-one -one thing you know what i mean then yeah. there was no stopping in on the on the ipad and on the on the the the, the um what do you call it the uh, nintendo and nintendo playstation there was, yeah there was none of that you know what i mean so to play we we played with our friends and our neighbors yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean, and and kids would, would more do that. I don't know if they do that now today. No, due to a certain extent, but I would yeah. say yeah. that um, 
the kids now are on the like the snapchats and so forth yeah. so they they communicate that way yeah they yeah, communicate yeah. that way there's not much yeah. outside yeah playing they still communicate yeah. but as you said they've got all these devices well now. that's what i'm saying my generation everything was outside if we couldn't um go out out we'd all meet up in the in the back entry because every okay. house had a garden and at the back yeah. of the garden there was the entry yeah. and all the kids would hang out in the entry play marbles play um hide and seek and yeah. you know what i mean ratatat yeah. ginger knock on people door and run away and <laughs> you know like things like that and that's how you your, your, your interaction came in yeah uh, and you got to know everybody and, and blah 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 but it's, it's a different it's a different life now you know what i mean it's a different style yeah you know i mean when you mention about the radio as well what type of music was you pop know music. was that pop music pop and music. <laughs> yeah. yeah because obviously we didn't have any reggae stations we didn't have any soul stations them days yeah so the only stations that we could listen to was like the pop station radio one so and and you know it was pop music but every now and again you'd you'd find some soul music from america in the charts and you'd you know yeah. and every now and again really rarely you'd find a reggae song like a Bob Marley or a Dennis Brown that got in the charts or something, Alfie and Donna and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, and it, and it was the kind of thing that if if um, Bob Marley was going to be on top of the pops one night, yeah, everybody would know. It doesn't matter how. There was no um, internet to, to message people, but people would just know and people would phone one another and they'd be on there and everybody would sit in their yard on a Thursday and would wait for Bob Marley to come on. You know what I mean? Because obviously... We're young black kids and we can identify with Bob Marley or, or some other singer, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You know, so it was it was a big thing, definitely. And the blue spot gram. Yeah. Now growing up, we had a blue spot gram in the household. But for me, it was a place where you store things. There was a, there was records in there, but I think it's growing up, me and my sister, we, we probably damaged those records. Right. It was just in the way. Right. It was in the way for me. I wanted to play with my cars and, and, and so forth. And the blue background was in the way. Yeah. And when my mom Piece got of old rid of furniture. it, it was old furniture. <laughs> yeah. Old furniture. And when my mom got rid of it, I was like, yes, there's more room. <laughs> yeah. There's more room. But growing, getting older, I've, I've realized the significance of the blue background in the family home. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about your experience of the blues background because it would be different to mine. Okay. So um back in the days growing up, uh, we lived in a in a in a three bedroom semi-detached house. And uh downstairs we had two rooms. Yes. Okay, the front room and the back room. The back room was generally for everyday use, like settees and 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 chairs and TV and and everything was in there, you know what I mean? And that's where we lived when we were, you know, chilling. The front room, however, was yeah. mum's best room. That was the prettiest room in the house. That had <laughs> the pretty settee and the pretty armchair with the the the, the covers that go over the top of the, the, the settee. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you rest your head back on them, yeah? And I had more mum's favourite ornaments were in there. Yeah. nice pretty clock on the wall the picture of jesus you know all them kind of things were in that room yeah and you weren't allowed in that room yeah uh, unattended especially when you were younger and even when you got a bit older you still weren't allowed unless you had good <laughs> reason to be in there yeah? yeah and also in that front room parked up in a corner was the gram the blue spot gram yes. okay and the blues 
Mark Graham was like um, the family entertainment system. Yes. Like how you'd have nowadays uh, a 60 inch TV on your wall. Yes. With surround speakers and your Sky uh, Digibox Q box at the side. Yeah. <laughs> surround sound. That was our home entertainment back in the day. Okay. Not only was it the home entertainment for music, but also at the size it had its record uh, records where you keep your records. And also at the other side, you'd have the drinks cabinet. Oh, drinks could keep in one side as well. Yeah. So that's what that. So that, that, where that, we used to store all our little. A lot of people used to put their drinks. Yeah, those, the that alcohol. was the drinks yeah. cabinet. Okay. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. All the little romance from Jamaica and you know I mean? they used to store it in there, your good drink and your cherry beer and your beer bisham and all them <laughs> drinks that they used to have back in the day, you know? Yeah. Um so yeah, so um it was a room that was wasn't used all the time. Yeah. But it, when we had family come over from London, my cousins came over, they would entertain in that room. Yeah. Then on a Sunday, um my dad, you know, King of the Castle, yeah? Yeah. Um, he would just take over that room and play his songs that he used to oh, have on the gram. On the gram, yeah. and us as little kids, we used to sit in there and play around. But we used to listen to some of his songs, his musical stuff. Yeah. And Mum would have her turn after she finished cook. Yeah. And she'd have her time in there, and uh, she'd play all their songs as well. Yeah. And um, I just believe that the gram is so significant with yeah. people from. The West Indian community, yeah. right? I'm like, you know, it, it was just something you had to have, yes. you know. Um, even if you was broke down to your last, <laughs> you know, I mean, you had to have a gram in your house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because music was, you know, we're coming from the Caribbean. Yeah. Music was very important to us, you know. And was that where you feel your interest and love for music kind of like stems from? Without from, a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. So it's like nowadays. The kids are fortunate that they have so many music platforms. Yes. If they want to listen to music, Spotify, iTunes, yeah. all these different play Deezer, they can um, listen to their music, yes. what they like. Yeah. Right. Growing up, we couldn't do that. We didn't have none of these um, internet um, um, stations and stuff like that. Yeah. So the only music we could listen to, which wasn't on the radio, was our parents' music. Yeah. What our parents liked. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I, I grew up liking my dad's and my mom's music. However, my dad was a um, big time, particularly uh, Jamaican music. Yes. Yeah, he liked a little bit of soul. Yeah. yeah? But, you know, the, the, the ska yeah. and the rock steady, which was coming out of Jamaica, that was his music. Whereas my mother, she liked that. Yeah. yeah. But my mom also liked pop music. Okay. So my mum liked a lot of soul, funky kind of music. Yes. But yeah. she would buy two pop songs as well. She used to like them. them <laughs> yeah. yeah. And because my mum liked it, and I used to listen, we used to kids dance around to all them kind of songs, you know. Yeah. I'm not af afraid to, to say I used to like ABBA and all them kind of groups growing up. Because yeah. It was on the telly, there was on the radio. My mum had them songs, and we used to listen to them and we used to dance to them. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it amazes me when, when, certain people talk about their growing up in their music life yes. and all they talk about is well people my age yeah but they only listened to this when they were young and they never listened to that i just find it hard to believe that you can grow up here in this country yeah. go to school and not 
like some pop music from when you were younger? It just, because that's what yeah. would have been the prominent thing that was 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 around. Yeah. To to be fair, and and as you said with your dad, he was you know Jamaican music. Mm-hmm. How accessible was that? In to get it in this country then at, at that time. Well, it, it wasn't great. Yeah. But there were people used to import music from Jamaica. Yeah. Normally on records, white label records and stuff like that. Yeah. And my daddy had a good friend. That, um, in fact, my dad's good friend was a guy called Ozzy Holt. Yeah? yeah. Who was the older brother of John Holt. Oh. Right. And he lived in Coventry when he came here from Jamaica from when we yeah. were little kids. Yes. And uh, he still lives here now. Yeah. How oh, is he? And uh, when we were younger, we used to go to his house. He had like a one room in his house, which was just had his turntable and he had his <laughs> music and everything. And whenever John Holt came to um, uh, England on a tour, yeah, he would always come and visit his brother Ozzy. Oh. And as kids, we used to go to the house and yeah. we used to meet this 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 big man. You know, them times he didn't have luck. Them times, uh, yeah. John Holt. You know what I mean? He just used to sing all them nice, sweet kind of songs. You know what I mean? But, oh. Yeah, that's where the, the early interest in, in yeah. the music kind of started for me. Talk to me about blues parties because oh. um, there was a series on a, a while back. Um, the, is it the Small Axe Small episodes? Axe. Yeah, and Lovers yeah. Rock. Yeah. And I watched that. And again, as somebody that, you know, my knowledge of the blues parties mm. and that would mm. have been probably in the 90s, middle 90s and mm-hmm. going on later on. Mm-hmm. But... I feel that I don't know if that was because th- there was a part where there was someone in there and it, you know it looked like he was possessed or, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And I heard a lot of people talking about that and saying, "Well, this is not a true portrayal yeah. of." So, what was the blues parties like? Mm-hmm. You know, back in you know when Man, you was growing up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to admit to you, Stephen. First and foremost, yeah. So back in the day, um, I was a, a soul boy. Oh, okay. When I was when uh, you said at the beginning of this interview that. You heard that I had big afro and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah, I had an afro. And to have an afro back in the day was, like, cool. Because <laughs> Michael Jackson was the coolest thing. And to have a big afro like Michael Jackson. And with me having Jamaican Indian roots, yeah, um, my afro did big. Yeah. All right? And uh, so I was on the soul scene, Funky Boy, and all the yeah. funky songs going to all the, the kind of funky places, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and I remember going to a, a funky uh, club one night and you know because back in the days all the nightclubs used to finish at two o'clock yeah, yeah, yeah. everything every club finished at two, two yeah? o'clock two o'clock that was yeah. the latest they could go to uh, and me and a group of friends because we were all funky now yeah yeah decided to go to our blues yeah. right uh, in hillfields in coventry yeah? yeah so we went to this blues and i think it was like two pounds to get in or something like that you know what i mean yeah and the place was dark it was dark it was it was like it was like some old flats you know what i mean yeah but it was the first thing i remember going in there the dark and there was some big hefty raster man on the door you know what i mean mean? and me being young and little just you know but uh everybody it was all about i mean it was very misty yeah (laughs) that's another thing as well it was very misty in there and there was a, a huge a stack of speaker boxes set up um, in a couple of rooms and the vibe was nice and I enjoyed myself yeah um, you said you watched that small axe yeah yeah and uh, that portrayal um, of um, the man possessed and yeah. blah, blah blah and all that yeah now Steve McQueen is the the black British producer that made that um, them five um, yeah. programs yeah including Lovers Rock yeah and uh, 
I actually, on my radio show, yes, I actually had a debate about this. Because yeah. there was a lot of uproar from people regarding this. Yeah. And uh, I was of the opinion that Steve McQueen never went to a blues in his life. Yes. <laughs> after seeing what I saw, you know what I mean? Yes. Now, I'm not saying that there's people that were a bit not too right. He'd never come to a blues and, yeah. you know what I mean? But the way it was portrayed yes. by Steve McQueen... I didn't think that was right at all. I didn't think I don't remember going to any blues and seeing people doing stupid and people getting down and yeah with all that. So I didn't think that was a true reflection of yeah. blues party um, in that documentary. Yes. However, I'm glad that somebody started to do making them films like he did do, but uh, I don't think it was a true portrayal, and I didn't think uh, the whole episode of Lovers Rock was very kind to our generation growing yeah. up because. You know, it seemed like there were mad, crazy people in there. Yeah. That people were aggressive. That people were coming there and assaulting women and yeah. and and all kinds of things. That and you know, I'm not trying to say that it, stuff like that never ever happened. Yeah. You know, but I think it was a bad reflection uh, yeah. on us. You know what I mean on that yeah. particular program. But blues in general yeah. was was a, was a good place to go afterwards. After the clubs finish, you went mm -hmm. to blues and from two o'clock right through till morning. Yeah. Yeah. So it was fun. Talk to me about now where the music interest really started to come in now to the point where, what was the first record that you purchased? <laughs> you want to hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first record I ever bought, I was 11 years of age. Yeah. It came out, it was number one in the pop charts. Yeah. And uh, I, I was on the radio one time, I'll tell you a quick story, yeah. I was on the radio and I did a show where people had to call in what were their first songs that they ever played, they ever bought, blah, blah, blah. And some long time people were like, you know, again, I don't think they were all of them were being honest about this was the first <laughs> song that they bought because yeah. they, they're kind of pretending that they didn't like certain pop songs when they were growing up. You yes. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so anyway, so the song, the first song I ever bought was called Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Oh. Is this the real life? Is yeah. this real life? Right? And I bought it because I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I liked the song. It was at number one. It was on top of about every week. Yes. We hear it and I got a little money and it was there and I know the song. And I bought it 7 inch 45 yeah. on, on EMI uh, record label. Yes. And that was the first song I bought. And then <laughs> after that, I would buy more pop music. Yeah. Because we didn't have a record shop that sold reggae. Yeah. Uh, at that time. Yeah, okay. I mean, there were people that sold music to, to, to DJs and sounds in the city. Yes. But you know, it wasn't readily available. So I bought pop music. Yeah. And then some funky stuff and stuff like that. Soul and, you know, yeah. funky kind of disco kind of music. Mm. But yeah, I'm not ashamed to say I bought <laughs> Queen uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as my first song when I was 11. And do you still have that collection of music? Or? S some of them I have on vinyl still. Yeah. 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 I'll never throw them away. Yeah. Yeah, I've still got my 1210 um, record turntables and uh, it don't come out very often now <laughs> because as you know, we went from record to, to CDs to laptops now, you know what I mean? But yeah. um, but I would never throw them. It took me too long to build up the collection. To build up the collection. Yeah. Talking about some of this stuff that are being documented, was you involved in any of sound systems and talk to me about the sound system culture back then. Now you're mm. starting to get a bit older and, mm. and, and so forth. Talk to me, what was the sound system culture like? Well, 
I have to be honest, yeah. Um, there were sounds here in Coventry and Birmingham, and I used to go to certain dances and listen yeah. to certain sounds uh, here and in Birmingham. A lot, a lot in Birmingham because, um, you know, I have a lot of family in Birmingham, yes. and especially my two cousins, Jester and and Beanie, and they lived in Perrybar, and yeah. um, they used to take me to a lot of places, even when I was young, you know, and, and I appreciate that time. But um, for me, it was going to London. I had some family that used to live in East London, yes, in Hackney. Yeah, and I used to spend a lot of time there. And towards the late part of the eighties, yes, was the first time I got involved in a sound, and that sound was called Jatobis. Okay. So my my cousins uh, used to be part of that sound. And where was that? In the, East London. In London, yeah. In London, yes. Yeah. So I used to I used to go to London all the time. Yeah. Be part of the sound, box boy, lift up box. <laughs> yeah. In the back of the truck, and going up and down the country. That's how we used to do it. And but Jatobi's sound in London was um, well. First and foremost, it had something unique about it because yes. the sound was run by a white man. Okay. And this white man was called Keith. Yeah. yeah? And he was known as Jatobi's. Okay. But he was a very respected guy. Yes. Because he used to build all the preamps yeah. uh, for all the, a lot of the main sound systems up and down the country. He was yeah. a very technical. He's an engineering whiz. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. And he could build speaker boxes and he was very good at what he did, you know what I mean? Yeah. And his sound sounded heavy, heavy. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, uh, and he had a lot of uh, prof artists on his sound that used to juggle with him. Um, uh, Crucial, Robbie, Mighty and Frighty and guys like this, you know what I mean? And they were a well-known sound. And as I said, I was a box boy and I followed the sound for many years. Yeah. And then in 1990, um, uh, a few of us branched away from the sound yeah. and started our own sound. And our sound was called Abashanti. Okay. Now, Abashanti was a root sound, okay? Myself, uh, Joe, who was Abashanti, my cousin Marcus, Barbara, rest in peace. And we started this sound, and our first major gig was at Leicester Carnival in that same year, 1990. Yeah. We were in the park, but we used Jatobi's sound. Okay. And we had a line of boxes, like, <laughs> on one end of the pot and uh, when we fired up the sound and we just had people around us all day long because the yeah. sound was heavy and uh, and that was where my 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 sounds business started now, yeah. some people started back in the 70s and the 80s yeah. for me it was the late 80s early yeah. 90s when i started to uh, to work with sound system okay and and when did the radio like the broadcasting come into it was it around the same time or no 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 i didn't I didn't start being a, a radio DJ till the millennium, 2000. Oh, is it? Yeah. So yeah. prior to that, in the yeah. 90s, yeah. I was a DJ. Yeah. yeah. Just a DJ. Uh, I used to have residences in a few clubs in Coventry. Yeah. Um, Bobby's, club release, blah, blah, blah. I used to get a lot of people come over from out of town, especially yeah. Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, and on a Tuesday night, I used to have a, a, a reggae dance all night. And I had Love Injection with my resident sound oh, at the it? time. Yeah. Wasifa used to come there, New Sensation, all the big sounds, all the big DJs yeah. uh, from Birmingham and beyond, Radigan, yeah. uh, Chris Goldfinger, they all used to come there. They used to promote the place and yeah. do lots of stuff. But I was just a promoter then. Okay. And then one night, I put on this nice little Sunday night juggling at a wine bar. Yeah. yeah. And the, uh, the DJs didn't turn up. Oh. And I was like, nah, I had enough people coming. Everything was like, so I had to drive home fast go and get my records and my CDs, which I had at home. Yeah. yeah. And I had to do the night myself. Is it? Yep. And the place was busy. At the yeah. end of the night, people come up to me, shut my hand and said they had a really good night. Yeah. You know what I mean? They enjoyed the music. So I thought, 
right buy some more music next week and yeah try this again you know what i mean and yeah. that's how my dj career oh. kind of started yeah so i started doing a few more clubs in coventry and then one of my guest djs was a guy called ganti g-man yeah. yeah if you know ganti from birmingham yeah and he had just um started along with another guy called dean alexander okay yeah. they had a radio station in Birmingham called flavor oh flavor, flavor fm yeah, flavor yeah. FM. yes so um it just started and they they're looking for djs and ganti says mike you need some dj for the station so yeah. i was like okay i'll try it <laughs> so at them times the uh, pirate stations were like in somebody's yard somewhere in a yeah. flat uh and my first show was like on a like a wednesday evening seven till ten yeah and i was in the studio and i bought my records because then we still had decks record decks yeah and uh, like how I'm standing, sitting right now with the mic in front of me, I'm playing my songs. Yeah. And I kept looking at the mic to say something. Yeah. But I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been listening to the station coming to uh, early in the day. Yeah. And I heard all the DJs talking and blah, blah, blah. And they had all the, the I was I was scared. I was literally yeah. scared of the mic. So I didn't say anything. <laughs> you I just, just played my songs. And people were texting <laughs> and, and I didn't say anything. And then I think it was Dean. Mike, you you know, I said, not my one, man. Talk up the man. So then, all right, I said, okay. And then I started to talk. Um, and I did a few shows. And I was with them for about six months. Yeah. And then um, an opportunity came my way. Because at that time, the only station that was in Birmingham, which was the number one station, was Sting FM. Yeah. Yes. And because I knew a few of the DJs, I'd worked with them over the years and yeah. people that were involved. I'm not going to call whose name yeah. we run, but yeah. some of the DJs that were involved. They asked me if I wanted to come on Sting and I'd only been on Flavor for six months. And I thought, whoa, this is a big step up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I uh, I went on Sting again, nervous as hell because I know there's so <laughs> much people in that program I'm like, listen. Yeah. But um, I got through the first show and then the rest was just got to me kind of easy. But um, what I do remember is that on the second show that I ever did, it was a morning show, um, I got a, a few calls from listeners and stuff like that. And uh, one of the listeners who was listening that morning had just opened a shop in Birmingham, yeah. a food shop. Yeah. And uh, she called me up and she says, um, do you know where Dom Dean's is on, on New John Street West? You know? I went, no, but I'll find it. And uh, she says, come on down. My name's Verna. Yeah. All right. And uh, I came and never met this woman in my life. And uh, she uh, said to me, I was listening to your radio show yeah. and I like the way you present it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like you to sponsor my new business, Dumdeans. Dumdeans opened the same time as I started on oh, radio as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and then after that, I, I got a few more people to sponsor. They said yeah. that they liked me in the morning time. They liked the way I presented my show. And then it just went from then. But I have to thank Verna for being my very yeah. first sponsor. But, oh, was she? Yeah, she was my very first sponsor wow. as a woman who, who I'd never known. But she um, she came to me and she she gave me this break and uh, I was ever grateful for her, you know. Yeah. What I mean? And because I used to um, do the radio in the mornings, I used to always go in the shop in the mornings, yeah. as you may know already, yeah. Stephen. Yeah? yeah, go and get me my, my porridge, <laughs> my, 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 my egg and beans in the morning, and, you know, fish fingers, them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Wow. That's how it all started. I didn't know you was on Flavor though. All yeah. being it being six months, but mm -hmm. I always thought Sting FM. Yeah. To be fair, was you know, yeah. I started on flavor first, man. Wow, yeah, mm. interesting. When you say the promoting and, and the sound system, where, where are some of the 
where would you say the it brought you in you know did it take you around anywhere or what are some of the well places that memorable places that you can say yeah well so um with the sound i mean we 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 toured the whole length and breadth of the uk yeah yeah we went up and down the country and, and had a, a lot of fun and laughs but by the time the sound started to get big yeah and you know big respect to them because they're they're touring around the world because back in the days like i was saying just even in the 70s the music was like love yeah love and peace and that kind of style of um, yeah. and then it, it in the 80s it went digital and, yeah. and in the 90s it got you know a bit raw uh but when abashanti started playing back again in the 90s they brought back that dub kind of yeah. roots kind of style yes. and it was something that was wanted by other people and they were touring the whole of europe they were mm. going to places like japan and places like Is that yeah. but me personally i'd gone on another path yeah you know i started to do promotions and stuff like that in coventry yeah and um you know i i couldn't be a part of going to london every week yeah. back and forth blah 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 yeah but i was whenever i could i would be still part of the sound you know yeah um so the sound didn't actually take me here and there just yeah. up and down the country but not nowhere far but my as a dj yeah that's taken me here and abroad and in all different places yeah and in terms of the radio station now because mm. community especially you know you had the lights of pcrl and and metro but with sting fm it's really the pillar of the community in regards to well i would say back in the day in regards to getting the information the music the rawness mm -hmm. you know it, all community stations really means a lot to to people in the community and the promoting the dances as well did mm -hmm. you get that sense playing on these radio stations as well of the significance and how much it means to mm -hmm. the listeners well I, i'd have to go back a few years like you just mentioned pcrl yeah without pcrl and cecil yeah. doing what he did in birmingham yeah. you know he set the standard for the whole of birmingham when it comes to having our own yeah. black radio stations within the community so he set the standards and a lot of the djs that played on pcrl uh, some of them were behind sting as well so um i i feel indebted uh to sting because yeah. i was a dj before i went on to sting obviously but my popularity my growth as yeah. a radio presenter as a dj yeah. learning the trade being a radio broadcaster all started because of sting yeah and i will forever be grateful to the management of sting uh, for giving me an opportunity because obviously there wasn't a, a station here in coventry at the time i could do yeah. only like english pop kind of stations yeah so to get to go to birmingham and and with my community your community and yeah. um, was was a great thing for me you know what i mean that time and it's it's been a blessing and it's, yeah. it's helped me to get where i am in life today so yeah. no respect to sting you've been running an annual birthday party um you celebrate in the same birth month of two icons talk to me about the start of your annual birthday party and and over 17 years later it's more than that is it <laughs> yeah <laughs> still doing it yeah where where did it start okay it... so it started again in 2000 yeah right 21 years um earlier this month because yeah. of lockdown we had our 21st edition right here in the studio yeah we had an online 
um, birthday celebration with a band, the band there on the wall, legend. They're from Birmingham. They're Bob Marley and the Whalers tribute band. Oh, Steve and Steve, Steve yeah, and you know, Steve yeah, comes yeah. With, yeah, Steve Morrison. Yeah, yeah, and they came here and uh, they, we did it the twenty first edition just a few weeks ago. Yeah, but it all started um, again. I, I I went on to Sting. Yeah, yeah, and I was planning a birthday party, and my birthday is the same as Neil's Bob Marley and Dennis Brown. Yes. As you said, two icons in the, the king of reggae and the crown prince yeah. of reggae music. And I kept my first birthday party at the West Indian Centre in Coventry. Okay, yeah. the first year. And uh, the place was ram. I don't know if you've ever been to the West Indian Club. Yeah, because talking about the West Indian, not to um, cut you. Yeah. But, and I wanted to talk about that as well. Because for me, we came from Birmingham and, and, and had parties at the west the um caribbean club in coventry okay and this was um you know before ecstasy 4x4 was called ecstasy All you right, know when okay. they were um firestar right okay right and, and they used to come up here and and, yeah. and do we used to have the young parties and right the, do you know what i mean yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that was running from then and this is why i wanted to talk to you mm-hmm. in terms of the significance of the caribbean center in coventry mm-hmm you know, what does it mean to the people of Coventry and is it still up and running as well? Mm-hmm. The, the the Caribbean, the West Indian Centre was opened in 1983 okay. yeah, in Coventry. Um, at this present time, it's not open only because of yeah. the restrictions and stuff like that. Yeah, but it, it, prior to that, it was open. Yeah. Uh, it's been running for nearly 30 years now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it, sorry, more than 30 years, I mean, it's like nearly 40 years, two years, you know. Um, so um, yeah, the, it, it's the, it's the most central, the pillar the, of the community yeah. where people, young and old, yes, in our community can come there. They can sit down and have a drink. Yeah, they can play bingo. They got yeah. women's groups. They got dances upstairs. They have all different classrooms upstairs yeah. on the third floor. It's a place where it has brought us together. Yes, you know what I mean yeah. and. Uh, I'm very grateful for that we have this West Indian Centre commentary. And also, it's the biggest West Indian centre in the whole of England. Is it? Yep. The, it is big in there. It is, it's it's yeah. three floors. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's three floors high and it's a big middle room and a downstairs room as well and yeah. upstairs classrooms and offices. Um, so it is, it's a very big um, place and, it, you know, it came close to losing it a couple of years ago. Oh. Yeah, but um, luckily um, new management came in there and new directors and uh, they've, they've put a new lease of life yeah. uh, into the place. But I still believe it needs a lot more people to support. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with lots of places in Birmingham as well that the same things happen there as well. Yeah. People not supporting and mm. places are closing down and, you know, and uh, so, but yeah, the, the West Indian Centre is definitely a a place that's helped a lot of people within the community. Yeah. And that's where your annual party started. That's where that it all was, started. Yeah. yeah. It was there for a few years, which was fine, which was all good. And I used to have DJs come from all over. Yeah. And then one year, uh, because my popularity on my radio station in Birmingham <laughs> yeah. uh, was growing, um, somebody said, Mark, you should keep this in Birmingham. Hey, yeah. you know, you keep this in Birmingham, the player. Don't sell it off. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but it's my, my hometown and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? That means my, my hometown, we're going to have to travel out of town. Yeah. Make them travel, but make them travel. <laughs> so I thought, all right, no problem. So I, I held my very first one at a place called the Function Suite. 
yeah. which is uh, down in Mosley. Yeah. I'm trying to think where is that? Yeah. Is that yeah. right at the end of start Wait, of Mosley Road? Yeah. When you come on the left yeah, hand side. On the left hand side. Yeah, I know where you're talking. Back, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, that's not bigger than, that's smaller than West Indian. It's smaller than West Indian. Yeah. It's more of a, a long shape, you know yes, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's got like a top room and a bottom room, yeah. But uh, it was a nice little, nice little club, you know yeah. what I mean. And uh, I decided to put it there this year. And then it was the first year that I introduced Steve Morrison and yeah. the band Legend. Yeah. I thought, you know, I'm gonna keep a party. I've got Bob Marley birthday. Let me bring in a, a, a Bob Marley tribute band in there yeah. for something different. So they came. DJs played the music, and then the band came on, and they did all Bob Marley's hits. And the place was just. It just was on fire. You <laughs> thought Bob Marley himself was was there, and it was such a success yeah. that year that I decided to bring it uh, keep it going every year. What, what what did the what was your commentary fans saying when you moved it? Did you get any backlash? Okay, yeah, I got lots. Of, I got lots of backlash. Um, the hardcore, the real people, they follow me. They like to go out of town and they travel out of town. Fine. Yeah. But the ones that don't really travel out of town in the steel and one place, yeah, they were vexed. They were screwing. Why am I taking to Birmingham for you? You're not from Birmingham. You're from Coventry. And, you know, stuff like that. And I had it all, man. You know what I mean? But they came around because, you know, within the next year and the year after, they all started to come to Birmingham as well. They enjoyed it. So, um, yeah. But I, I, I never look back on that because obviously Birmingham being such a big place, second city, the bigger community. I, I was a, I was able to uh, do a lot of stuff in Birmingham yeah. more than I could do in Coventry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I, about, I don't know, 10 years later, I think I, I brought it back to Coventry for one year. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, I just thought, sure, why not? Yeah. And it wasn't a successful. <laughs> no. So I thought, uh, one's bitten twice shy. Yeah. And I've Sweet. kept it in Birmingham ever since. And I, there's been so many places, like you said earlier on, Ruskin Hall. I yeah. kept it there for a couple of years. The yeah. year when it snowed, <laughs> uh, and Vernon was doing the food for but me. But you had a, it still had a big turnout, though. But yeah, but the thing is, I, I that year I had about six coaches coming yeah. from all over, from London, Oxford, Leicester. I had Nottingham. I had coaches coming from all over the place, and it started to snow in the middle of the afternoon yeah. on the same yeah. day, and it came down heavy. <laughs> and all the people that were going coming here to the party on the coaches, the coaches wouldn't drive them. They said it, it was that bad. Yeah. And I thought, should I just cancel it? And there were people there already. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead with it. And even though it was, even my own cousin came from London. Yeah. She stopped in a hotel on Broad Street, right? And uh, she couldn't get from Broad Street to Ruskin Hall yeah. in Aston because taxis wouldn't take her there. Yeah, it was bad. That it was a bad. Was. Yeah. That's how bad it was. Yeah. But you know, I gave that because the people, the hardcore came out and they, they they enjoyed themselves. So, so many different venues. The drum. I had yeah, my fifth, the drum. Because was yeah. that when um, Steve's band played in? in Steve's band well, played it once. I did the drum about three times. But uh, Steve's I'm, band played there once in the yeah, smaller room upstairs. Yeah, I'm sure I was at that one as well. Okay. I'm sure I went to that one as well. And I also kept my 50th birthday party there downstairs in the main room. Yeah. And that was completely sold out. There was just people couldn't get in. That's yeah. how Aram it was. And, you know, up until the, the last one last year, which one was that Mango Lounge? Yeah. Uh, down in, um, in, in Peribar. Yeah, Audrey. Road, road. Yeah, 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 I keep that one. That was the very last dance that there because it's closed down. It closed down after that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've kept them at loads of different venues. What would you say the secret of the success of 
of that was because if you look at the journey, just speaking to you, you've, there's been ups and downs in terms mm. of, you know, you moved it from Coventry. You had the the year when it was snow, mm. the snow, and some people just said, I'm, I'm just yeah, yeah. going to cancel it, but you continued going. Mm. What would you say the secret of the success of, you know, your annual party? Because there's been promoters that's come along, mm -hmm. did annual birthday parties, mm. and then they've fizzled mm. out or it's not mm. been as, as strong. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think to celebrate in Jamaica every year, they have big celebrations for Bob Marley yeah. uh, every year, all parts of Jamaica. And there's no way you can go in Jamaica yeah. and don't hear a Bob Marley song, whether you can driving on the road in a food shop, you'll always have a hotel, you'll always hear a Bob Marley song somewhere, yeah? yeah? And I think the popularity that Bob brought to Jamaica and, and his, his input in reggae music, was phenomenal so yeah. i think people decided you know that they'd like to come out and celebrate bob marley's birthday every year yeah uh, and dennis brown as well, another icon and also there was a few that liked me as well you know what I mean? yeah so they they come along as well and 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 like you know my flow and uh yeah and uh, they've, they've been loyal and supported me yeah through um thick and thin over there mm. the past 21 years yeah so i'll give thanks so now we're traveling through this journey and we come to Arawak Radio. Mm -hmm. When did this radio start up and, and why? Okay, so I'd, I'd been on Sting for about 11 years, yeah. 2011. And then um, a guy I know from a long time asked me if I would come on a news station in Coventry and do his morning show. He listens to me on Sting, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Some of the DJs need a bit of help. Um, and he said, you know, it'd be, it could do on a Wednesday and a Friday morning. You know what I mean? So yeah. Okay, no problem. And uh, the station was called Hills FM in Carpentry. Yeah. And it was a community station with an FM license. And uh, he asked me if I could help out with young people there and do some stuff. And I thought, yeah, no problem. It's my hometown. And let me try and help, you know, give something back, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then um, I was there for three years. But whilst I was there, I felt that progress wasn't being made. Yeah. I felt that the people that were actually running it, had their own agenda yes and they they were making it too commercialized yeah and there's a plenty of commercial radio stations within the city yeah and this was supposed to be a project for people in our community yeah and it became too commercial for me and i didn't like it yeah and um, so in 2014 i left yeah and a friend of mine told me that um there was a studio here at the Broad Street Center, which used to be a youth center. Yeah. You see, he was here. Yeah. It's been empty for a few years. Nothing's going on there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I came up here with a friend, looked around. I says, I want this place. Yeah. <laughs> so I got in touch with the uh, the council. Yeah. And, uh, and Bob's your uncle, and I, I signed a contract, and I, I rent this place yeah. since 2014, and it's oh. 2021, so I've been here for seven years now. Yeah. So... Yeah, um, Arawak, you asked me how this started, yeah? Yeah. And why um, Arawak? Yes. So, uh, well, as you can see up there, the big sign there, yeah? So I'm very, I'm born and bred here in yes. Coventry, yes. all right? But I'm very, very, very proud yeah. of my Jamaican roots, yeah? Yes. My mother and my father were very proud Jamaican people. My mum's sadly no longer with us, yeah? Okay. But she was a very proud Jamaican, and my dad's a very proud Jamaican. Yeah. And uh, 
I've been to Jamaica back and forth so many times and I love Jamaica. It's like second home to me. Yeah. And when I decided that I was going to start this radio station, uh, I wanted it to have a powerful uh, name, yeah. a meaning, something you know positive. Yeah. And I called it Arawak because of the original um, people that lived in Jamaica. Okay. So the yeah. original Jamaicans yeah. were called Arawaks. Yes. Yeah. Then yes. they were Indians from South America. So you had the Arawaks and you had the Taino Indians. Yeah. They were the first people in Jamaica. And then in 1492, this idiot boy called Christopher Columbus yeah. come to Jamaica in his ship telling that him discover Jamaica. Right. Yeah. And we all know about that. Christopher <laughs> Columbus is that damn blasted liar. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, Anywhere you go in Jamaica, you'll see Arawaks. Yeah. yeah. You'll see the Arawak Hotel, the Arawak this, the Arawak that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought I needed this needed to be part of my culture, okay. my Jamaican culture. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that little sign that you can see up there next to the Arawak sign. Yeah. So um, you'll see carvings like that all around Jamaica and oh. in like mountains and caves and stuff yeah. like that. And they were symbols that the uh, Arawaks used to write in caves. You know, like you see caveman days and they, they do all that kind of stuff. Well, that's what the Arawaks used to do. So I decided to, I needed to include that in with the logo. In, in, in of with the, the logo. So yes. Arawak are the indigenous people of Jamaica. And that's why, hence that and the Jamaica colours as well. Yeah. Mm. And what type of things do you do here? It's part of your radio station. What projects are there? Or it, okay. and, and I want to get the sense of what is the difference as well, like in terms of, you know, the FM and you're doing things online. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the pros and cons? Okay. So um, I initially started this uh, with a friend of mine called Mike. Um, Mike was into um, the recording side of the, the project yes whereas i was into the radio side yeah and um, so uh, i concentrated my full focus on getting the station up and running yeah on um internet on the internet yeah yeah and um, which i did do it was hard in the beginning to get a lot of djs to come on it was you know really hard difficult yeah but uh, i managed you know what i mean struggle for the first year but we we managed uh but mike um decided that he didn't really want to do this again he had some other projects that he wanted to do yeah and it was a partnership at the time yeah. so um i took it on solo oh, okay the, the yeah. recording side of the studio yeah and the radio side okay yeah. i had help i am um, i recruited a, a sound engineer yes and we would have like bands we would have artists yeah. we'd have young people come in and spit bars and record their stuff yeah because there wasn't a lot of places for them to go yeah uh, young people yeah and uh, we started a few courses uh, in sound engineering okay yeah. um media broadcast and radio broadcasting and we were trying to help like young people in the community that had yeah. a passion for for radio or sound engineering music that kind of stuff yes so over the past uh, six years or so um, that's what we've been doing here obviously last year we had to put a lot of things on hold because of yeah. covid and this and that and we were restricted from having stuff like that yeah but as time has gone on and uh, we've had a lot more djs now yeah. uh, i'm up to about 30 djs i have oh and so uh, you got a full roster then yeah i got full roster we're, we're on 24 7 some djs do more than one show a week um, yeah. and uh, we, we're good and we got, i got a lot of djs from birmingham uh, that that do shows here as well as as um mainstream stations in Birmingham as well. What does the future hold 
for Ararak Radio? Mm, good question. Good question. So um, when we first started this project and we went through the, the community side of it, yeah. we were basically told that we had to keep our nose clean for five years. Yeah. Uh, if we did that, uh, complied with um, radio regulations, yeah. stuff like that, yes. um, we could apply for an FM license. Yeah. Okay, so five years was up last year. Yeah. But obviously, again, with COVID, COVID. Uh, it put us back a little while. So we've not actually got the FM license yet. Yeah. But we're hoping to get it later this year. Yeah. Or early next year. Yeah. So um, to go on the FM is, is would be a, another step forward. Step forward. Yeah, yeah. as well. As in. I mean, we still have a lot of internet listeners. Yeah. But, you know, there are a lot of people old school that, like mums and dads of a certain yeah. age who don't bother with that kind of thing. So in the car there and on the yeah. radio, they'll listen to the FM. So yeah. that would be definitely a step forward. And, and also I've got a, a lot of young DJs on this station yeah. um, and I'm hoping that there's a couple that um, are passionate about what we do here that will step up and uh, take the reins because yeah. I can't do this forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like this to grow, to grow and, yeah. and to be a part of, of the community in the city of Coventry. So what's the, the difference with having the FM license and just broadcasting, you know, as our community stations mm-hmm. do what is the difference between the two is the more like is it the regulations why some of our community radio stations may not decide to go down the having that license or if you're licensed would it dictate the type of music that you play or what music you play right i think if i'm honest yeah i think that there are stipulations some stipulations but they're not stipulations that we can't get around. Okay. Yeah? yeah. I don't think nobody can actually dictate to you what you can and can't play, except oh. as long as it's it's music that isn't offensive yeah. uh, and stuff like that and controversial. Then yeah, yeah. Um, you got an FM license. You know, you'd have to do that properly. Yeah. But you know, and if you had music which was of a more you know uh, raw yeah. nation, then you could do that after a certain watershed late watershed, at night. You know, yeah. like. BBC Radio One Extra, yeah. you know, is probably the the biggest and best known yeah. black station in the UK at the moment. Yeah. But they're very professional what they do in the daytime. Yes. And then at nighttime they can they get can, a bit more raw. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is fine. And I think that some of our people in charge, you know, they could go down that road, but choose maybe not to. Yeah. Because there was a time when they weren't giving our community like chances like this on yeah. the radio so yeah. we had to have pirate stations we yeah. had to do that and because we've been doing it for so long people just they don't want to change they just yeah. want to be how they are and you know yeah. what I mean? and there is a lot of fees and legal stuff you have to do if, yeah. if you become legal and have an fm station and yeah. you're bound by these kind of things uh, which is fine yeah. with myself it may not be fine with other people yeah you know what i mean they might just want to do how they do it and, and that's it, end of, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I bless up the, the, the pirate stations because without the pirate stations, yeah, I wouldn't be here where I am today. Yeah. And a lot of people wouldn't be doing what they we do today. Be, yeah. You know what I mean? You ask any of the biggest DJs in the country, Rodigan and yeah. people like that, and they will tell you without the, the pirate stations, you know what I mean? Yeah. The music couldn't spread because back in the day, mainstream wouldn't want you to play a certain yeah. time of mu- music in the daytime they'd restrict it to late at night 
Yeah. Whereas with the pirates, you could play, you could wake up in the morning and hear Beris, yeah. uh, Bujo, or somebody like that. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's that's the whole freedom expression of music. Yeah. I'd like to see someone, one of these producers or anyone, do a documentary or a series on community radio stations. Mm-hmm. Because I think, although they're doing what they're doing, as you said, there's a, you can't speak to any DJ that wouldn't say they're here because of the community radio stations. Mm-hmm. Even the promoters. Mm-hmm. Some promoters wouldn't have been so successful yep. if it wasn't for community radio stations. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much people pay homage to mm-hmm. that. I don't really hear it a lot. Mm-hmm. No. You know, but for the individuals that are involved in the management side of it, it's it's a task that they've put a platform on yep. for people. And a lot of people have catapulted and went on to do other things. Yep. You mentioned Big John. Big John had this, a, a, a period of time where he was on you know, yeah, a licensed ch- radio. Galaxy, yeah. yeah. That's all off the back of those community radio stations. Yep. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, I think uh, a lot of what I've, I found out over the years is a lot of people are ungrateful uh, and think that they're bigger than they actually are. And yeah. they don't, like you say, pay homage yeah. to their, their humble backgrounds and beginnings. Yes. That's the, radio station the community radio station the pirate radio station has given them a platform to play their music because i i know for a fact i could never have reached where i am today i'm not trying to say i'm i'm no big superstar dj because i'm not you know what i mean but the level that i'm i'm at this moment time and and do what i do i could never have got there without the the support of 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 sting radio and the community radio station because it, it kind of elevated me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I would always be grateful yeah. for that opportunity that I got yeah. and the people that were managing the station at the time, you know. So, give thanks, man. Yeah. Before we wrap this up, because I, I, I believe I could speak to you for the all evening, right? <laughs> okay. Because it's just so interesting hearing that that yeah. journey. But before we wrap it up, there's, there's, there's two things that I want to explore with you. Firstly, You've gone through a time period where you've sold the vinyls. Yep. You've gone through the time period of the CDs. Mm-hmm. Then you've gone through the time period of the laptop age. Mm-hmm. And now the Instagram and Facebooks mm-hmm. and, and so forth. And how COVID-19 hit in 2020. And it again changed the way how, especially DJs and people consume music. Mm-hmm. You have all these Zoom parties. Yep. Um, Facebook parties and, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. What would you say for yourself was the best time period in terms of how people consume or how the DJs deliver their music? But in during this last year? Well, during all, the, your whole journey. So you've gone through the vinyls and so yeah. forth. Where would you say was the best time for you that you think okay. this was enjoyable? Yeah. I'm moving with the times now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if I could choose a time period, yeah, to go back to this is the one that I would go to. Okay, so um, it would definitely one hundred percent be the nineties for me. Okay, and I tell you why. Yeah, the reason why the nineties for me because I I, um I was a promoter in the early nineties. Yeah. By the mid nineties, I started to do a little few family. Yeah. parties with some cds <laughs> and that kind of something yeah yeah and um, but by the time the latter part of the 90s came in yeah 
I, I used to run a little wine bar uh, in Coventry called TP Woods every Tuesday night. Right? Yeah. And uh, it was it was only until 12 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Right, from about 7 till 12 on a Tuesday night. Yeah. And but Coventry had a big uh, student population. Yeah. Yes. At the universities. Yeah. And there was this new music that was coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And fortunate for me, uh, my cousin in London was into this music and got me into it and then getting me in links to it. And this music was called Garage, yeah, Garage <laughs> music, yeah? yeah. So, I mean, I like my raga, I love my, my, my soul, right? a bit of everything. But I started to get this Garage music, Two Step, it was, it was called back in yeah. the day, or Speed Garage, yeah? <laughs> and I started to play it at this wine bar every week. Yeah. yeah, as long with it, everything else. Yeah, but it was the new thing, yeah. and the students in Coventry who were from all up and down the country and a lot of from London, yeah, they knew about Garage. Yeah, okay, so yeah. I'm playing all this Garage, all these mm. remix songs, blah blah blah. The places ram out every week, and uh, nobody wants to go home at twelve o'clock. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it was really good. And then this student guy uh, from London, he. Uh, uh, was into the promoting business and blah blah blah. Yes, he knew me. Blah blah blah, and he um he asked me if I would do like come and DJ in Ayanapa, all right? And uh, I was like, yeah, what Ayanapa? Yeah, I mean, what Ayanapa? Yeah, so um I got to go to Ayanapa. Did you? Yeah, I went to Ayanapa oh. on these beach parties on Nisi <laughs> Beach in in um in Cyprus, and uh, it, they were just mad. It was just like, man, I like. <laughs> Uman and see and Sony was just amazing, man. You know, I mean, I've been to reggae dancing to song, but the garage thing was like a completely different thing for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like in Coventry at the time. I was the only one that was really playing a lot of garage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And from Ayanapa, I got to to tour a lot of Europe with yeah. these guys from London as promoters. They brought me all over Europe. I went to Holland. I went to um, Belgium. I went to France. I went to all these different places, man. You know what wow. I mean? Playing music. And uh, it sort of got me a little bit of a name. It was it was probably the thing that yeah. got me recognised in this city as well. He's not too bad a DJ. Yeah. You come from, oh, he's okay, to, yeah, he's all right. And uh, that's how it kind of sounds. People, when I, when, I say that, when I tell them this, they go, like, him? We go rasta man with him long locks. He used to play Gary. I say, yeah, that was how I started up. I said, well, you know what? It makes sense now. You say it because if you listen to your radio, your shows, mm-hmm. and even some of the times where you've played out, mm-hmm. your music selection is very wide. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't. It makes sense now why you know your music selections is so wide because you've talked about you know the early days of what mm-hmm. you was listening to, and I wouldn't have associated you with. With mm-hmm. garage yeah, music, but I hear you like you know I've heard you play it before, but mm-hmm. I'm just think yeah like big man trying to think <laughs> and and yeah, but the thing is this goes back to my childhood because remember I told you my dad was hardcore Jamaican music yeah but my mom liked everything and I think because my mom was eclectic with her music choice yeah it made me eclectic as well right yeah. so I liked everything I'm from dance music to you know what i mean some mad stuff and yeah to, to all kinds of country music to some pop i don't care I used to, and i used to get bookings i played some events where i was the only black person yeah you know what i mean but i tell you now i could rock that party for them yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> i play what they used to like as well you know what i mean so 
Yeah, I like our music. Wow. You know what I mean? I like our music. But reggae is obviously my first love, but yeah. But uh, I can I can hold my own with a bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Finally, mm. Mikey D, because going back to the early days, it sounded fun, community spirit, mm. playing outdoors with your neighbours and, and if you fast forward it to what the community is like now, having such a wealth of experience of different time periods, what kind of advice for anyone listening, all the youth listening now, what advice would you give them in terms of them moving forward or navigating throughout the community? Mm-hmm. I think the only thing I could say to like the youth is that there, there are so many positive um young people out there doing some really good things yeah yeah and what seems to happen yeah working here like i do i know that there's some really good youngsters out there doing some really good things the only problem is whatever good things that they do it doesn't get highlighted as much yeah, yeah? when somebody gets stabbed or a gang from this area yeah. attacks another gang from another area, that is highlighted that's in the spotlight and that's what we think yeah. is going on with our youth and it isn't always the case. It's far from it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But they just kind of like, you know, highlight the, the bad stuff more than they do the good stuff. I think young people in this city, I, mean, I can only talk from hearing comedy that I know of. Yeah. Young people in the city are doing a lot of good stuff, yeah. positive stuff. All I would say in, in terms of um, being a community is just to live good yeah. and share your experiences with your with your your friends your brothers your sisters your people in your community yeah and and it's hard sometimes for some of them not to get led down the wrong path yeah yeah but um you know just stay focused on what you want to do because anything is possible in this life anything you know what i mean we've gone through a stage where we watch in america how the first black man is a president and now we've got the first vice uh, president as yeah. a woman and stuff like that. That's in America. Boy, it may take a bit longer here in the UK, <laughs> yeah. Yeah? yeah? But, you know, there's a positive steps and there's a lot of black role models yeah. within this country in in films, in sports, in, in business that um, are showing us that, you know, we can do these things. Yeah. You know what I mean? So never give up never think that you can't yeah. ne- nobody tells you you can't do anything yeah and there's always somebody here that can help you yeah you just gotta look and, and, and find them you know what i mean and once you find them yeah you know, it's down to you mikey d thank you for today it's been an enlightening journey thank very you. enlightening journey for me and I still can't get out of my head that you played in inapa <laughs> it's yeah regular every year yeah. for good many years man but thank you for today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for um, inviting us up um, to your studio. Continue doing all the good work that you're doing and keep it blessed. Stephen, thank you for having me on your podcast. And uh, maybe in a, another time, we'll have another conversation. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Manners Good. and respect. Peace. 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 Up. Bless.